0: Welcome to the Mental Health bootcamp Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where three psychotherapists, two of us Canadian, one of us Americans, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California.
1: And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area.
2: And I'm Chris Boyd, the psychotherapist from Port
0: Moody, British Columbia, Canada.
1: And I'm Joanna
0: Boyd. No, Joanna's not here, here today. <laughs> jo is not here today. She is otherwise occupied, but we decided that the show must go on tonight. So we're
1: here. Gonna,
0: we're, we're here. We're going to take it. We're going to tackle it. Yep. Yes. Sorry. Yes, it's true. Uh, we were just talking earlier about some of the challenges, uh, facing the U.S. right now regarding Mm -hmm. some violence, uh, gun violence in grocery stores and churches and schools. It's a very sad, confusing time down here in the States. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are very, of course, sad, grieving, frustrated angry why does this keep happening what's going on depending on who you talk to it's a gun issue gun regulation issue others would say it's a mental health issue others are saying it's just evildoers um it's all pretty messy out there Mm
1: -hmm. i think um we we might be able to talk about this next time Maybe not though, um, but I think our book club book also kind of alludes to this type of violence in a in another manner. It does or how this type of violence could be created through a caste system. Yes. So whether or not that's at play as well.
0: I just finished the book Cast. Uh, Wilkerson is the author and. It is, uh, it is our book club selection. <laughs> and we will be discussing it next time we meet.
1: Indeed. Yeah. I still pretty much have halfway to go. I read it. I think I read two pages last weekend. So I got to hunker down and get this thing done. But I can do it. I can do it. I've uh, renewed it from the library twice so oh far. So we'll hopefully not have to renew it a third time.
0: It's a hefty read. There's no doubt about that. But... Yeah, It's oh, yeah. chewy. It's chewy yeah yeah definitely
2: a heavy one for sure um ryan you're just mentioning the uh the the regulations up here in canada if you mm-hmm. want to uh, own a gun actually, I actually didn't even know what they were but do you want to uh, give us a breakdown of those? yeah again? i was
0: just just looking at uh someone who posted something about the the difference of regulations in canada where there is a uh 28-day waiting period. So you can apply for a gun, a permit for a gun, and that's 28-day waiting period. But you also have to take a, a, a gun education class, um, prove that you know gun safety. Um, there's a background check, including mental health and uh, criminal history and all of that. You need to pass that as well. Um, and there's a another regulation where you have to disclose who any intimate partners you've had for the last two years who have to kind of testify or could not testify consent to the uh your ability to to handle a gun or to i guess manage your anger or whatever it might be
2: yeah i didn't know about that last one it's interesting almost like a a character uh, reference i guess eh? yeah yeah From, from uh but a past relationship so Yes, uh, it's not just a buddy of yours or a family yeah, member. It's,
1: past relationship. Yeah. I wonder as well if that's to reduce, um, like domestic violence, essentially, right? Uh, obviously, to say, "Hey, I don't feel safe if this person carries a firearm."
0: Right. Which, yeah. I think that's brilliant, actually. Yeah. You know, if you if you have if you have a history of of violence, then I don't think that should qualify you to have a firearm right yeah
2: yeah especially in the mental health component as well mm-hmm. Some, sometimes people are not thinking logically and rationally or, or in a lot of pain and mm-hmm. so probably shouldn't have a, a there's a lot of prohibited weapons up here as well in canada yeah uh, the majority of gun violence obviously very minimal compared to the united states it's usually illegal guns it's a little easier for the police to Hopefully track those down and confiscate them because people don't have permits for them.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, a, yeah. Well, with yeah, that, that's a- but the uh,
2: yeah big week though. Obviously, what what happened down south and my goodness, it really uh, hit people close to home. Just the the whole narrative, you know. You drop your kids off at school in the morning, and uh, you know you you think they're going to be safe. So, I know my. Uh, we saw a little Lily on our podcast a while ago and I know my sister and brother-in-law was talking to my sister yesterday and they felt extremely upset by uh, what had happened there. So we got a lot of people up here also, of course, impacted by the, the violence.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it's, it's probably uh, widespread the, the concern, but, uh, but I mean here again, here in the States where, guns outnumber number people i think it's a it's a real nail biter down here what's what are we going to do about this problem let's do it quickly
2: hopefully uh some something can happen down there but i know there's a lot to it um
1: yeah there's no simple solution no that's for sure um but there's any steps are good steps
2: yes because this creates so much fear right and if uh kids can't feel safe at school, then my goodness, that's a big, big issue, big problem.
0: Yeah, it's true. And as I was talking to my kids about this uh, a couple of days ago and talking about you know, talking about their, their preparedness and how, you know, they do have active shooter drills in their schools wow. uh, regularly and like, okay, here's, here's where you line up. Here's where you go. And for my kids, this is what they've known their, their whole lives. You know, this is just one of the things they do. Okay. We have PE, we have art class, we have shooter drill, and then we have lunch. I mean, it's just a regular thing. And, um, and I just to see my kids kind of like, Oh yeah, there's this really cool hiding place back in the back. Like it's just, it's just so normalized for them. Interesting. Uh, It breaks my heart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. our uh, brains are our minds are designed to seek out harm and danger and uh, there's a lot of it you know they
0: to seek out to be aware of to be to alerted out, to right to be aware of yeah
2: yeah you know we just grab it we have that negativity bias to be very sensitive to potential harm and danger so so many things happening right now in this world so adding yeah the shootings the multiple shootings to it is uh Yep. Increasing that level of fear and anxiety, no doubt. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And beware of monkeypox as well. Now that's the mixing. Eh? <sighs> Jeez. What's going on? Well, more than ever, we need the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. Here we are to help ease some of the anxieties, perhaps.
1: To uplift our spirits. Hooray.
0: Hooray. Hooray. Indeed. <laughs> kind of feels like an uphill battle sometimes.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, sometimes it is a, a tough, uh, I feel like it's a tough profession to be in, obviously, when situations like this come up as well, because it's, um, we're, we're often such a grounding voice for people. Uh, but at the same time, we are able to share when normalize and validate that, yeah, that that's scary for me too, right? Yeah. Uh, Having that human, human interaction opposed to counselor interaction, uh, but yeah, I feel like a lot of clients turn to therapists as for grounding in in these moments, and sometimes it can be a lot to hold.
0: Absolutely, it, it's and it's it's a challenge. Uh, well, occasionally, we've uh, a, a, talked about this. A reporter might reach out to me and say, "Hey." Um, we're we're doing an article on um, how to overcome pandemic stress, or how to overcome your fears of you know shootings, gun violence, whatever it might be. And they'll say, okay, we just need like a couple sentences. Just tell us how how could people overcome their <laughs> the 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 burnout caused by uh, two years of pandemic. Okay, go. I'm like, go to therapy. Like, wow, that is. A- <laughs> I just get stopped in my tracks. I, whoa! How do I cover that in two sentences? You know, it, especially given everyone's experiencing the, everything differently. Yeah, uh, is there a, is there a you know a, a cookie cutter? response to give to all of this
2: there's so did you provide one or did you push back a bit and say that's it's unrealistic
0: no no i mean i I, of course i want to give them something so i i might qualify it with look everyone's experiencing things a little differently Mm -hmm. but generally speaking we want to be uh aware and try not to isolate and seeking out help when necessary and doing the best we can in the moment trying to take care of every day. These sorts of things that we talk about on the podcast all the time, but it's, uh, it's, it's tough to boil down. Okay. I, <laughs> there's tremendous trauma and crisis in one sentence. What do we do about that? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, boy. It's big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But happy to be asked, happy to try to help. Um, But honestly, you know, with all, I've got several clients that I see and every person's dealing with something a little differently. Everyone's processing things a little differently. And uh, it's hard to just say, hey, everybody do this one thing because it's, it's different for everyone we talk to. Right.
2: Yeah. Big time. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sad. Back to gun violence, you know seems like everyone's unified down there in terms of sadness and frustration and anger, but I think it was just different ideas in terms of how to solve the issue or what to focus on. Yeah. But my goodness. Um, yeah. A lot of grieving happening for sure.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. A lot of grieving. And, and there seems to be a, an urgency. I mean, whenever there's a shooting, it seems like there's an urgency that lasts for a few days or a week where it's like, we have to make a change right now. And unfortunately, for some reason, news cycles, something, it kind of peters out. And people have recognized that, you know, Hey, the, we need to actually do something. And oftentimes we're pointing at the government government has to do something, make some changes right away. And we have to kind of strike while the iron's hot, so to speak. And, uh, not let us lose momentum and kind of be lulled back into complacency again and then just wait for something else to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're in that urgent place right now. This happened just a couple of days ago in Texas and uh, people want to make some changes. Let's make it happen.
2: Yeah. Do you feel the, uh, the drop in compassion or compassion fatigue gets, kicks into like, it's very emotional. And then uh, eventually you're like, uh, you know, it's overwhelming. I got to I got to pivot and focus on something else, and um,
0: do you think I might be part of it? I, I do think that's a part of it. Um, I I do think, honestly, there's there's something about sort of just the retention of of data and and numbers of events because, um, I was I was just becoming a therapist when when the Columbine shooting happened in uh, 99 right and and i remember that was a very big deal because nothing on that scale had ever really happened before it was a very big uh deal it was in the in the news for months and people still can remember columbine but as over the last few days people have been talking about all the other different shootings that have happened since then which have been just as big and and, and horrific of course um and i'm like oh yeah i forgot about that one and I, oh there was one there like, it's it's just weird for me to, to recognize that oh, I'm not even holding on to all of these horrific events any longer because there have been so many and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they do get kind of... It, it's not that I'm lacking empathy, but it's just hard to kind of hold on to so many different bits of information, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Like, oh, yes, it's horrible. And I do think... I mean... Gosh, burnout is the topic of, of a lot of people on a lot of people's mind. You know, there's some, been so much going on mental health wise, stress wise, uh, that I do think a lot of people do experience a lot of compassion fatigue. Yeah. Understandably. For sure. We haven't mentioned the war
2: that's still going on
0: either, but. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many different things for sure. Yes. So, on a brighter note, Brooke? Yeah, an uplifting
2: topic here. Something to brighten everyone's spirits.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a Brooke topic, doesn't it? A nice, uplifting...
0: Oh, yeah, uncomplicated, simple. Uncomplicated. Yeah.
1: <laughs> breeze through it. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Okay,
0: well, good. I'm ready for it. Okay. My phone's around somewhere. All right, what do we got? Yep. Okay.
1: Ryan always does that on mine.
0: Yeah. He a process. There's always a pause. There's a pause. I'm trying to. All right. You get ready. Here we go. Brooks' ambush for today is self sabotage. What's up with that? Why do we do it? And can we stop it? Self sabotage.
1: Yeah. I feel like it comes up a good amount in counseling sessions where clients understand that they're getting in their own way or that they're them like interrupting their own progress or things are going well, and then they, they muck it up, and yeah. I feel like this term was a really hot term years ago. Yep, I really do. Like this was uh, yeah, clients were coming in and. I'm self sabotaging and what do I do with that? I hear it like I still hear it often, but maybe in different language now yeah like maybe I'm doing it to myself or um yeah so know anyway, i I feel like it comes up enough that we could chat about it for a bit
0: I agree I agree and actually it's it's kind of it's 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 on theme but also a little different from what we were talking about before. We we're talking about kind of external external sabotage, right these. Yeah stressors and uh intrusions and violence from the outside now we're talking about okay what happens when we're doing that to ourselves you know why would we take uh why would we stop ourselves from getting something that's good for us or why would we put bad things in our own way why would we talk to ourselves in really nasty ways i mean if we if we're creatures that uh that want to preserve our, our livelihood and maybe even improve ourselves, why would we uh, sabotage that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um, also hear it a lot in relationships, right? I I sabotage the relationship, like after the fact. Things were going so great and it was such a perfect person and then I had to go and screw it up. Yep. And now this relationship's over and now I regret what I did, yeah. Yes.
0: I think it's a good topic, Brooke. I was I was pausing in awe. I wasn't pausing in agony.
1: Are you sure?
0: I am sure.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, do a little playback on the video later and really analyze your nonverbals.
0: Well, that's that's what I'm telling myself now. Okay. Self sabotage. What's yeah. up with that? Why do we? Sabotage, what is, what, yeah. are, what is this mechanism all about?
1: What do you guys think? Where does this come from? Why do we do this? Is it purposeful? It must be purposeful for it to be so common.
2: Yeah, I think it is. I think, um, I think it's a, a defense mechanism. I think, um, I think it kind of kicks in and, and is protecting us from a situation that might be unfamiliar or creating some level of fear or anxiety. So you mentioned relationships. So I, I agree that self-sabotage comes up a lot within that context, right? So
0: maybe Ow. things are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In uh, relationships. What do you mean?
2: Well, like kind of to Brooke's point there, like things can be going really well and it seems like there's chemistry and and there's, um, you know, um, it's a positive interaction that's happening and, and it's, uh, you're becoming closer, it's uh, become more compassionate, the connection is deepening. And then one partner may um, sabotage that, or end it abruptly or act in ways that are, um, that are kind of unusual or chaotic that are kind of detrimental to that relationship, making it you know,
1: Yeah, becoming more irritable or upset with that person for normally things that wouldn't be such a big deal or yeah. pushing boundaries, pushing limits. Just to, yeah, kind of get under the skin of the other person, push them away, doing behaviors to push the other person away.
2: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, for sure.
0: I will contest one thing that you talked about, about the the purposeful or like intentional piece to that. I I would say that I don't think that people are often aware of their self-sabotage, meaning they're not saying, hmm, I've got a really good thing going here. I think I'll screw it up because I want to deprive myself of this good thing. I don't think they're that aware of, of the self-sabotage. I think they might be aware that they're doing that in the moment, but sometimes it takes uh, a bit of in- insight a little self-reflection to realize, oh, you know what? I'm actually afraid of, uh, I- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna destroy this relationship now so that my partner doesn't leave me. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's some, some bits of of that, that like, they're not, that's maybe not at the surface, but they, they end up doing that. Like,
2: yeah. Yeah, for sure. But back to the whole idea of fear, like Mm -hmm. you fear abandonment or you you fear developing stronger connections than it not working out. Right. So it may stem from an early relationship or some kind of connection in your life where maybe you had that closeness with someone and, and uh, it was jeopardized by the other person's actions. Right. And it was devastating for you. So instead you're like, no, I'm going to push this person away before I get hurt again. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that's where often self-sabotage comes in. Like Things are going really well, but then it starts to get a little more serious. And that's where one partner might get, uh, or both partners, who knows, might get a little freaked out by that. right? So I think the nervous system kind of kicks in and, and that's where that whole idea of that defense mechanism is there saying, hey, push this person away, protect yourself. Um, you don't want to get hurt on a deeper level
1: and do you think that that would then um transfer over to other situations so for example persons who are sabotaging themselves uh, for career growth or health goals um going to bed like i have so many clients that struggle with going to bed at a reasonable hour And that inner dialogue of like, I know I just have to do it and just kind of having a hard time parenting themselves to say, Mm -hmm. let's do this bedtime routine and let's, I know what I need to do and I have this plan and they might do it for a few days and then they say, oh no, Uh, I'm just going to watch, you know, this one more episode that turns into Mm -hmm. one more episode or um, get thrown off and, and now there's a resistance to change. Like in some regard, like, do you think that that would... Qualify a self sabotage where because that client yeah, would be yeah. getting in their own way to achieve their health goal, right? Or uh, mm-hmm. whether that's eating healthier or exercise or, or yeah, success. I think fearing yes. financial success is a big one as well.
0: I was just going to bring that up. I think, I think two big culprits here are fear of failure and fear of success. Fear of failure being oh, there's a good job. Uh, I could apply for it. And then back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't think I'll be able to get it though. And that would feel too painful to be rejected. So I just won't apply. And then you avoid that, that, fear, of, that fear of failure sabotages you, right? And then, but the fear of success, which I don't think we talk about enough. And I think it's a big, pretty big deal in, in people's lives, which is, Okay, I might apply for that job. I might get that job, and then I'd actually have to do that job, Mm -hmm. and that could be a big disruption in my life. That could be, uh, I could have to perform at a high level. Um, People might be watching me. I'd have to live up to expectations, and that that might feel pretty stressful too. I mean, there could be a failure component to that. But like, what if I succeed? What if I actually have this healthy relationship that I've been dreaming of for all these years? Uh oh. (laughs) <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's like the the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. It's like, exactly. uh, like if I, uh, I that what's yeah.
1: the, what's that even going to be like? Yeah, and that's uncomfortable in itself.
2: Mm-hmm. It's- How about in terms of the relationship again? Uh, familiarity leads to a sense of safety and security. So sometimes you have um, folks who grew up in maybe an, an unhealthy uh, home and. And the chaos that you experience from your parents is be, kind of becomes the norm. Norm, right? So even though it's unhealthy, it's again it's familiar, and that leads to a sense of safety and security because you're in, you kind of you're used to it. You're aware of that, right? So I know who to going, be. I
0: know who to be in this situation, right? Yeah. I know so who to be in a chaotic, uh, yeah. you know, conflict rich environment. I know who to be there.
2: Absolutely. So when things are going well, and it's like holy. Is actually really healthy communication and connection with someone. Sometimes people get freaked out because it's unfamiliar to them, right? Yeah. So they sabotage it because they're used to that chaos.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to throw out another one from from personal history here. Do you guys did you guys have to take like a, uh, a standardized test to get into college?
1: We we like or- high school.
0: We, yeah, out of high school. So I had, we had to take the SATs. Did you oh, guys have SATs. SATs?
1: No.
2: Okay. It's more of an American thing. So, it's yeah, if you want to get into an American university, you have to do the SATs.
0: And I think it's pretty, since the pandemic, I think they've abolished the SATs down here, which is pretty nice, actually. Hmm. The SAT was shown to be pretty biased uh, in a lot of ways. And so, but I think that's gone. Anyway. When I was in school, uh, I had to take the SAT and SATs were kind of a big deal. I mean, your, your, your grade point average was big, um, but also your SATs and people would oftentimes in high school talk about, well, what was your, what was your SAT score? And, uh, that had a big bearing on how, you know, how attractive you were to different colleges, to competitive colleges. And, uh but it was also a little bit of a bragging thing for people like, Oh, my score was this people equated that with intelligence, which is not true. And, uh, and you know, that oftentimes gets equated with someone's worth and value, which is really sad, but back to the SAT story. So I was a junior in high school and I was going to take my SAT and it was, it was scary to me. Um, this whole idea of taking the SAT, um, I think my older brother did pretty well on his SATs. I had some friends who did pretty well, and the pressure of that felt pretty heavy. I didn't realize this until a few years later. But the night before that, he was going to take place on Saturday morning, and it was a Friday night. And some friends were saying, "Hey, let's go, let's go hang out." And I was thinking, "Gosh, I should really stay at home, get a good night's rest. You know, do the last minute studying for the SAT." But I didn't. I said, "Forget it. I'm going to go out and hang out with my friends. Woo-hoo! We're going to go hang out and be crazy all night. We hang <laughs> out until way too late." I went into the the test the next morning, really tired, and I didn't do very well on the SAT. But I could tell myself afterwards, I didn't do very well because I didn't get much rest the night before. I didn't really prepare all that well, and that. This, this was something that I, a realization I came to several years later as I was exploring this very topic. I realized I, I sabotaged myself as a protection for myself. I didn't want to, I didn't want to try my hardest and then realize it still wasn't a very good score or, you know, I put my, my, my best foot forward and it still wasn't good enough. So I gave myself this buffer of, I didn't, I, I sabotaged myself. I didn't really, uh, I wasn't really prepared. And that's why I got the bad score. It's a great it, example. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sometimes you see
2: that with uh, the siblings, right? If there's uh, the older sibling who is just rocking it, like uh, excelling in all the different ways. Uh, sometimes the younger sibling might, that's a lot to live up to. You don't yeah. want to feel like a failure. Um, so they go the other direction. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to carve my own path. and my I'm not even going to try to engage in those more um, positive outlets, you know, but no, that's a really good example though. it's interesting that that kind of
0: naturally happened and it kind of gave you that out. Eh? It gave me an out. That's right. That's the, the the moral of the story is sometimes self-sabotage gives you an out. And the follow-up to that story is you can actually take the SAT many different times, many times, if you want to, I took it again later and actually did prepare and did better. So that was so it's a good story there. But that first time, I felt like I needed to throw myself under the bus <laughs> and uh, underperform because I was kind of scared of it. Yeah. Fear.
2: So did yeah. your, uh, did you get an SAT higher than your brother's score or what?
0: About it. About, a, about a, uh, Equal to his score. Equal. Well, good. Good. So that was good enough.
2: Yeah.
0: That was good enough. And, and I know enough now about standardized tests to know that that, doesn't really mean much anyway other than how much you prepare for that test. So yeah, we can get it standardized test another time. But, um, but the point is that I think that there are some, some, there's something that's conscious about it. There's a lot that's unconscious about it, but it really is all based. I believe that a lot of it's based in fear, you, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of change, fear of really knowing the truth. How good am I really um, at this one thing? And uh, and yeah, it, just, it trips us up oftentimes. What about uh,
2: self-sabotage for the benefit of others? Like, um, you know, mm-hmm. I had, had a client once who um, was very bright, but would self-sabotage a bit or, or downplay uh, their abilities because they didn't want to get more positive attention than their siblings or something like that, right? If that kind of makes sense.
0: Like a humility, sort of a.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, I uh, didn't want that attention or didn't want that gratification. I want to give someone else a boost. So, oh, I'm going to uh, throw this game or throw this card game, whatever it might be, just to help the other person out. You're self sabotaging yourself so someone else feels better about themselves.
1: But it's That's... a conscious choice, that one.
2: Yeah. Does
0: that fit? Or. I think that sounds like Canada to me. <laughs> oh, no, you go first oh no, you're fine, you did great. I had
1: one of those Canadian standoffs in the grocery store the other day. No, you go, no, you go, no, you go, okay, okay, yeah. (laughs) It happens, Ryan, it happens often. I hope you get into a Canadian standoff when you come visit in a little while.
0: That's what you call it, a Canadian standoff? Like, no, you.
1: No, please, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. It takes a little while, then someone goes, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if you insist yeah i was thinking about that recently driving one of my kids to school and and like four-way stops i don't know if they're the same there but four-way stops everyone kind of shows up at the same time and you know you're supposed to kind of go in the order that you show up to the stop or whatever, or the however, right of way or like or the the right, of way, right. Yeah. but there's i've noticed in, an uptick in people waving like you you go you know yeah. waving that thing but it to me, it doesn't always feel polite. It's not like, oh no, you go right ahead. It feels more like like a control thing. <laughs> you go and then I'll go, right? I'm being nice. You get you get going. You yeah. go first. It's a, it's a different, it's an American standoff where it's yes. more aggressive and like <laughs> controlling, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do some waving here too, but I think it's more Canadian of like, oh you first, oh no, no, you first. Yeah. Oh you, okay, you, you, okay, yeah, thanks. You, you,
2: You blow kisses and give the queen wave like this. You go, come this way. Here we go.
0: Um, However it works. And then
1: there's a thank you after you wave, then the other person, thank you. And you say, thank you back.
0: Oh, wow. It's a lot of body movement happening in that car.
1: Yeah. You have to do your stretches.
0: A lot of gestures.
2: Yes. (laughs) Anyways. But, (laughs) But I guess what I'm saying is people pleasing behaviors, so people pleasers sometimes put other people's needs first, right? And sometimes may consciously or unconsciously, maybe self-sabotage to give other people a boost. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it's fear again, it's fear. Um, I'm sure that's kind of the root of it still.
1: Do you uh, think that that would be sabotaging a close relationship? Because if you're always people pleasing, you're not really your authentic self in that relationship. and therefore the other like you're not actually going to have a deep authentic connection with someone if you're always pleasing or appeasing because you're never the other person never actually has a chance to get to know you
2: well yeah i guess that could fit
0: um yeah you're you're
2: perceiving it yeah
0: you're well yeah because you're playing a role at that point you're not really being so um uh, sabotaging right.
1: the ability yeah, sabotaging your ability to actually have a healthy connection.
2: But the intention is to have a good connection. The,
1: yeah, you think, well, you not a good connection, but having people like you. That's it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's the difference. It's having I want someone to like me or to not be offended, or what I don't want someone to not like me, as opposed to having someone really know me and maybe respect me more, you know, you know what I got here first, I'm going first, <laughs> you know, yeah. however that might look.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think Self- uh, Yeah. I'll oh, go I ahead. Ryan.
0: I'm just, I'm just going to say self-sabotage. I think when I work with, with people, oftentimes I'm asking them like in purpose and meaning of light, like they're like, Oh, I just feel like my life's kind of empty. And they might, I might explore with them. Well, what is it that you feel passionate about? You know, maybe they say dancing or crochet or whatever it might be. Well, why aren't you doing that then? And, oh, well, I just, you know, I prioritize other things in front of that. Or I I don't think I'm worth it, maybe. There's a self-worth piece to, uh, to self-sabotage as well, right? Like other people's needs are more important than mine or you know, I, I don't think I deserve it. Maybe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've been a lot about anxiety and fear, but yeah, sadness or depression, mm-hmm. You know, depressed individual might be a little more prone to that low self-worth, low self-esteem and, but um, some self-sabotage perhaps. Right.
0: Yeah. I actually think it's a, it's a great gift when someone really does know what it is that they're passionate about, what it is that they're, that, that feeds them. You know, yeah. You know, I love to dance. It it might be that's not really me, but if if someone said I love to dance, then okay, great. That's that's wonderful. You know that. How can we get you on the dance floor? What can get you to? What's getting in the way of that? And oftentimes the the sabotage parts are, oh, there's A, B, and C that's preventing me from getting there. And uh, well, let's see what we can do to remove those obstacles. If you really love that, let's get that going in your life,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. Or and piggybacking on that and circling to what I kind of started with same with yeah, the things that people know are good for them. That yep. like if you have that magic wand question, if I make wave the magic wand tomorrow, you wake up and everything's fixed, what would be different? How would you know? When people have this like I'd be sleeping better, I'd have be connecting more, I'd be Healthier, whatever. Um, so why aren't you making those steps now? And they say, I don't know, or I just can't do it. I've tried, but there's yeah, it gets in the way, right? Like there's barriers they're putting in front of themselves. So yeah. to really take a look at that and say, well, why is success in this area so scary?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like um, yeah, Ryan was saying too, like self worth, like. Sometimes people don't feel deserving. I'm not deserving of of happiness. I'm not deserving of this and that, the other. Like sometimes when there's trauma or abuse in the past, that self-concept is so awful that they have a hard time connecting with the things that may actually make themselves feel better. Uh, Addiction, right? That's where often the root of a lot of addiction is is some form of trauma. Um, Perhaps. So I think, yeah, it all kind of fits in together, doesn't it? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If I don't feel like I'm worth good things or I deserve good things, then I'll deprive myself of those. Yeah. Also, you need to point out that, I mean, there are some actual legitimate obstacles and and difficulties that people encounter. Like, if I love to, uh, you know, I love to shoot off rockets in my backyard well <laughs> uh i live in an apartment i don't have a backyard or there, there, there could be i don't have the money for that i don't have the time for that i have dependents who require my time i mean there's some some legitimate sabotages they're not even sabotage there's obstacles that get in people's way that they might not be able to uh enjoy their passions and we need to acknowledge that as well but if it's something that's possible and you're not allowing yourself to have that that's where the self-sabotage comes in
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes as a therapist, I know it's self-sabotage when I feel like hitting my head against the wall. You if that makes any sense, where say I'm like, more. If here we go. Like, why are we not gaining any traction? Like we've set goals, we're doing the things there's, but there's, and it just circles and progress doesn't get made. Change doesn't take place. And it kind of like repeats and I'm like, what is going on? And I'm like, there's something way beneath this, right? Like, it's not a behavioral thing. It's not a thought thing. It's like, there's something else going on here where the person is getting in their own way. Yes. Where you're like, here's 10 things that we can do. And they come back and they're like, I didn't do any of them.
0: Right. Right.
1: Repetitively. And you're like, okay. And that to me often is like, what is going, what, what's happening that you're getting in your own way? Because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that you're in my way. Like What's happening here?
0: Yes. Okay. This brings me to a, a very psychological little mini lecture here on one of the defense mechanisms. I think is one of the, the most interesting ones um, that, that Freud brought up is, is called repetition compulsion, right? And repetition compulsion is where a person will repeat a, a a scenario in their life over and over again. And, and it's for a variety of reasons. Let's say, let's say that you grew up, um, let's say that you grew up and your, uh, mother, We'll say if it's a it's a young boy, a heterosexual boy whose mother is always absent and never quite giving enough to him. As he grows up, he might choose dating partners who are also absent and never quite able to give enough to him. And might find himself going, "Why is this happening again and again?" You know, Mm -hmm. she's she she favors her job over our relationship, or she's in jail and she I can't ever get enough time with her, or there's something there that's preventing us from getting enough. And Freud would point to this idea of repetition compulsion, which is how we kind of recreate similar scenarios from our lives and repeat them over and over again. And the idea of that is that it's an attempt at mastery. It's an attempt at trying to get a different outcome to the same story. I'm gonna choose an unavailable partner and try to make them available because I couldn't do that with mom in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now, uh, I, I feel like it's, it's like unfinished business and it's like a, a record that keeps skipping over and over. It's play, replaying the same part over and over again. And I have to try to find a resolution to this problem, which is, I mean, you guys have heard of that concept. Before? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, Definitely have a handful of clients where that's going on and they're aware of it. And they're, one of which is, uh, she picked up on it without me having to point it out. Like she was like, wait a minute. Cause we, it was a relationship pattern repeat from like a, a very unhealthy, like emotionally traumatic experience with her, her first relationship. Um, and then the pattern set. So every relationship since then, and now she's, you know, it's been 20 years since that first relationship, but she picked up on it when we started talking about relationship history and she went, Whoa, bing. Wow. That's what I'm doing. I'm like, mm, yeah, good, good. I'm glad she was able to connect the dots. So now she's fully aware. So she kind of jokes with herself when she's entering into the pattern. Cause she's like, I think I'm entering into this, but I know I'm entering into this and I think I'm just going to do it anyway. (laughs) I'm like, all right, well, at least you know what you're doing.
0: And and that's, that's what awareness gives you is a choice, right? You can at least say, I know I'm doing this and I'll choose to do it. Or maybe I know I'm doing this again. I'm I'm seeking out an unavailable partner. uh, And I'm not going to do this again. I mean, this is because this is not serving me. So I'm going to cut it off at this point and stop self-sabotaging, right? Yeah 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 i guess trying to make the unconscious conscious
2: through uh, awareness of those those patterns because yeah it can happen so quickly right but I, I i still think the the repetition piece has to do with you know you're you're growing up and and when the brain is still developing in some key ways this is what's familiar to you right the dynamic there um uh, With your with your parents, so in your mind, this is, that, that is normalized. I think you're kind of drawn to that because it's familiar, and maybe again back to that sense of safety and security, perhaps. Yeah, but I think that kind of plays a bit of a role in that too. It just feels normal, oddly enough, even though it's it's unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've heard the same thing from from children of alcoholics who can say often if they've, they've been in Al-Anon or some program for a while, they, they're able to identify the fact that, you know, if they, if they grew up with an alcoholic parent, they can oftentimes walk into a room and kind of spot the alcoholic and feel drawn to them because that feels familiar. And, and again, maybe there's a repetition compulsion propulsion there where it's like, Oh, I want to get the attention of, of an alcoholic and, not have it be that kind of relationship, you know, or have it have them not be alcoholic anymore, something like that, or have their or get their approval perhaps, or mm-hmm. all the needs that were unmet. Yeah, 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 interesting stuff.
1: And then yeah. I think clients as well, uh, in another relationship dynamic in the therapeutic relationship, clients who try and unconsciously they might be sabotaging the therapy process.
0: Ah, say more, Brooke. That's interesting.
1: I, I do think that can happen sometimes because I think sometimes people's, um, the negative self-belief that they're carrying. So I think we've mentioned this before, but Adler stuff, there was, uh, like worldview self-view. So it's like, I am, people are, the world is. And, uh, and so some of my clients who really have this like entrenched, um, like I'm broken, like, I feel like sometimes that resistance and therapy is actually sabotage to say, See, I am broken. Like, to reinforce that I can't be helped. I can't be fixed. I can't. I'm not going to get. I, I am broken. I'm broken.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah.
1: Or to play with that dynamic to say, Oh, this relationship is healthy and trustworthy. And I feel safe here. And then, Oh, I'm going to push those boundaries. I'm gonna not show up or I'm gonna show up late yeah. or I'm not gonna whatever it might be, right?
2: Yeah, you're it's like a fear of abandonment and you're sort of testing the boundaries there. You're trying to push it away. Yeah. Um yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've seen that, you know, if counseling's coming or therapy's coming to a close for whatever reason, sometimes mm-hmm. uh that self-sabotage will happen, right? Instead of having uh, that that transition or or it's uh yeah it's kind of a I'm gonna sabotage you before you abandon me type of approach right?
0: Sure, a preemptive strike. Right. Let me do something to draw this to a close so I can not feel those feelings of sadness and loss. Mm -hmm. There we go. So I can, uh, yeah, somehow avoid those.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think, Ryan? Do you think it happens within the therapeutic process? Or how might it happen in the therapeutic process relationship?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's it's all over the therapeutic relationship. I mean, again, a lot of it unconscious, some of it conscious, but um, absolutely. I mean, I think every time a client... And I've certainly heard clients, this is a common thing that clients will say, like, um, you know, you get you get to the end of a session and they've just been kind of recounting their week and then they'll say, oh my gosh, I, I've ran out of time, but I, I really wanted to talk to you about this other thing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh man, why am I out of time now? You know, gosh, okay, I guess we'll save that for next time.
1: Or, Which, oh, I just blabbed all the way through that one.
0: Yeah, 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 it's something where it's like, they they really wanted on some level they wanted to talk about something, they ended up getting caught up in something else, and it's like oh, gosh, I didn't get to that more important issue, whatever that might be. Um, so that's on on that level. I certainly, uh, uh, gosh, it's almost a new can of worms here. But but lying in therapy is a, is a is a very common thing, and I actually did uh, an article a few years ago with someone who researched lying in therapy and it's like 80% of clients lie if, and the other 20% are probably lying about that. Like everyone lies in therapy at some point, either under, underplaying something or, you know, downplaying something or, or overemphasizing, overemphasizing something else or misguiding in, in little ways. It's just a common thing. It's a human trait, but in a way when, when there is a lie in therapy, that's, that's also self-sabotage because it's, it's preventing a bit of your real story to be known or your real self to be seen. And, uh, and again, it's, it's so common. It's, there's no judgment there. It's just, that's something that we do to sabotage. We hide a little bit in therapy. Um, and, and there's also a lot of people pleasing to go back to that idea. Um, I once wrote an article just talking about the world's best therapy client. There are a lot, of, a lot of people who come to therapy to try to really please and like get a, get an A plus in therapy when that's not really the point of therapy, but uh, you know, trying to be a good good student in therapy and like, oh, you recommended this article. I read it, I read it twice and here's all of my thoughts on it or I did all the homework from last time or whatever it might be. Um,
1: not saying you shouldn't do your homework.
0: <laughs> not saying that that's... A negative, but but if if the point of being in therapy is to really, again, be intimate and vulnerable and to really connect and to show your true self, then being the A plus uh, teacher's pet student is not necessarily uh, going to be the most helpful for you. So certainly, yeah, there's a lot of self sabotage that goes on in therapy, and I believe there are a lot of a lot of therapists that can actually fall into that as well, can also sabotage their own work in therapy by being too distant, too detached, uh, too clinical at times. Um, uh, maybe not, uh, not allowing themselves to connect with empathy with their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, not really showing up really in those ways. Maybe they're too busy. Maybe they've got too much of their own stuff going on in their own lives, but, uh, but certainly therapists are part of that that problem as well
2: yeah very true yeah i can take on many forms eh? absolutely yeah mm-hmm. avoiding that discomfort in some kind of way
1: yeah so how do we fix it how do we stop self-sabotaging you guys got any tricks because you know i sabotage all the time you do <laughs> i don't i don't I don't know if I do. I haven't come to that yet. I'm sure I do at some point. I'll have to ask my therapist.
0: Ah, well, I've already disclosed I've self-sabotaged at 16 years old, so I, I've, I've, I've got a long history of self-sabotage. I do it all the time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, how do we confront this and stop self-sabotaging?
1: Like, what does it take to? get through it. I don't think that there is a simple solution to this. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. certain qualities or characteristics that could be enhanced to help or I don't think there's clear strategies on this. Like well, I think it, it really takes open mindedness and bravery and courage um, to lean into the discomfort to say, Oh, my gosh, that is what I'm doing.
0: I'll, I'll take a two pronged approach here. If a lot of what we talked about was the idea that self-sabotage revolves oftentimes around fear, right? A fear of good things, a fear of bad things, a fear of change. And I think if there are two pieces to this, that are the antidotes in a way to fear, it would be courage that you just mentioned like really trying to step into that courage of, of taking that risk, I guess, and saying, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to, I'm going to challenge myself to, uh, to take that risk. And the, and the second one, which maybe actually before the first one, which is an awareness, trying to see, you know what, I... I am getting in my own way sometimes. Um, It's not always the world that's holding me back. Sometimes it's me that's holding me back and I need to be aware of that. You know, is this a a me problem or a world problem? And if it's a me problem, I need to to accept that, embrace that and say, you know what? This is a place for me to grow right now. Um, The world didn't keep me out all night the night before my SATs. It was me that did that. I was the one who was afraid and I needed to to take uh, responsibility for that and say, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna face that fear and step into that with courage next time.
2: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. It reminds you of, of course good old Victor Frankel between a stimulus and a response. There's a space and that uh, space is our freedom, choose a response, you know, response lies or growth and freedom. But uh, yeah, awareness is so key. But I like how you broke down awareness. There's different components to that, right? It's uh, awareness of the pattern, reflecting on maybe why that pattern is there. But you also mentioned ownership, like taking, uh, having autonomy over that, not externalizing, which I think is a big part of it too. And that willingness to, you know, say, "Hey, I want this. I want to make some changes here. Is this is holding me back. I'm going to step into that discomfort." You know, kind of calm the body, shift the mind, and and uh, not react the way I typically do. I mean, respond a little differently. And it's going to be tough at first, of course, but. But um, that, that discomfort is going to pay off.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like Curiosity that. as well. Being okay to say, what would happen if I did this differently? What would happen? Right? Ties into that leaning into the fear and the discomfort and but being open to observe. So if I stop being snarky at my partner, I wonder what will happen.
2: Yeah but even like um the openness to receive feedback from others
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um you know if you have the ability to connect with a a therapist or counselor they can help with that process but it might you might not have that ability so you may have to actually be open to receiving feedback from others so if someone says hey they they say i notice that you've been doing this often you might you know you might react in a pretty intensive way to that but if you're open to it and uh and that could open up some avenues of, of change.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, but it takes courage to be vulnerable and open to other people's feedback.
1: Sure does. Receiving yeah. feedback is a skill for sure.
0: Yeah. Seeking help is a skill. Just, at, you know, anyone who comes to therapy in the first place, that's a, that's a major courageous moment right there for them to say mm-hmm. yeah i'm willing to open up and and ask for some help it's a big big deal yeah so that's anyone true. willing to do that I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of that
2: yeah big time yeah may take some work um these patterns might be very ingrained very habitual
0: yeah it's true that is true, Brooke. Did we answer your question? I think so. I I'm going to reiterate the fact that I think this is a very good topic.
1: <gasps> are you sure? Yeah, okay. I mean it.
0: Look at my facial expressions. I'm being very authentic right now. Yes.
1: <laughs> People who are authentic don't have to say they're authentic, Ryan.
0: Well, I was I was called into question before, and I
1: I oh, just want to
0: clarify. But yes. That's it's like your
2: authenticity involves some hand movements. This. Yes. I
1: typically respond better with hand movements. So thank you. It worked. It worked. It did. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm buying into this. Ryan's yeah. cheerful.
0: According to my jazz hands, this is a good topic. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. So we will uh, we'll put this topic to bed. We will address our self-sabotage with authenticity and facing fears and reaching out to others, being open to feedback. And next time we meet, we'll be talking about this book. Yeah. Which will be a we lot will. of fun to talk about cast. Yes.
1: And, and we will maybe try and think about another book. Yes. So that we can announce it next time.
0: Exactly. We will do all of those things. But for now, we will say goodnight and goodbye and fairly well. And so that's it, everybody. Thanks. you.
1: Night. See you all later.
0: Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye.